Welcome once again to the Ryder Brothers Podcast, the show where we discuss general interest, entertainment, video games, TV shows, movies, and sometimes books. But don't worry, we're not doing a book this week. Maybe next week. I'm joined once again by Carrie Own, Witch in Residence, and of course, my co-host slash co-producer, uh, that guy. Hello. Anyway. Gentlemen. How are you doing today? Excellent. Phenomenal. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the latest and greatest in Apple TV's new show, Severance. After that, we're going to do a quick little overview of the Star Wars Star Cruiser, as well as the overall state of Star Wars. And finally, we're going to take a quick look at Elden Ring and uh, talk about that. So, gentlemen, John, why don't we start with you this week? What were your thoughts on this week's episode of Severance? My thoughts were wild. I cannot believe how much it changed in just one episode from the two-episode release. Uh, I really did not expect them to do this much exposition slash world building in this next episode, but then to simultaneously give us almost nothing. Like, we see where they are. We see why the work life works. And we hear rumors of these little, uh, I think at one point they said that there was an uprising between the different uh, jobs, like the janitorial staff versus these uh, micro dot processors. And, oh, man, I just, I was blown away. Before we get into it, I'll, uh, I'll let you guys give your thoughts first. Uh, well, this is a series that keeps you guessing the entire time, and this was definitely a, an episode that, that ratcheted that up pretty quick. Uh, I, I was left going, oh, well, wait a minute, what about, oh, and just these moments of, they put together some things, but it really just opened up more questions, and I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, uh, not a whole lot moving plot-wise except a couple of moments, but overall I think it was just establishing the, the world building. And to get into it a little bit, we, we noticed that Patricia Arquette's character appears to be aware of the fact that she is severed, or maybe she's not severed. Um, I think, and this is just my theory, I think she's permanently been severed. I think that was part of the agreement to the promotion was that she was going to forever be uh, working for the company. And I don't know, something, some kind of agreement came up with, with the any Audi where she's going to be a permanent Audi now or a permanent any now or something. Um, also, uh, Heli got sent to the break room, which I think we all knew was probably coming. And so we'll see if my theory is correct, that she's just going to embrace the work life and, and, you know, slowly start to turn into the rest of her co-workers, or if she's going to be a, a constant resistor, who knows? So, yeah, I think this, I think the show does a lot of, uh, does a lot of, it brings up a lot of questions and it does feed just enough answers each week that it keeps me coming back. But the entire ride as as boring as it comes off is still just very like i still don't know what's going on any right now and i'm three episodes in and i love it 
So. Honestly, I'm getting really like it's the ultimate messed up version of The Office. Like, <laughs> how dark can you make The Office while simultaneously filming drones, doing drone work? And like, I feel like it's amazing. As far as like what you brought up with Heli going into the break room, like, there's a lot of I don't know what hypnosis going on you know she's staring at a screen but then they're making eye contact but then they're saying i don't believe you and she's like yeah i don't believe me either so like they're literally telling her to make feelings about her statement so that she can leave but also like not giving her any explanation as to like what she did wrong she's just like i'm aware of the things that i did and it's like no you're not i'm not aware but then they're like like they're literally giving her the feelings and i think that that's what plays such an important role in this whole like how did the drones stay drones despite constantly losing the majority of their day mm-hmm. and 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 I, one more thing to add sorry i just thought of this but to add to your point about um the boss i have the imdb pulled up and i still forgot her name um It's, is uh, it Miss Casey? Har- no. Uh, Patricia Arquette. Patricia yeah, Arquette. Patricia Harmony. Arquette who plays Harmony Cobill. Yes, so Harmony, she... What if she is permanently severed, but, like, that's kind of where Irv is going. Like, Irv, the reason he wasn't picked now is because, like, he's not ready to be severed, but, like, maybe another year or by the end of the season he'll be selected to fully give up the Audi personality so that he can run the Audi's lives. Like very clearly Harmony is playing a major role in guiding Mark and watching him, even his Audi life. So I wonder if like, that's like the next promotion is like some become the department head, which is like a internal easy promotion that like everybody kind of fights for but then some get moved all the way out to be like Harmony. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was starting to suspect as well, was that the that's how you move up in the company, is it's either, either they're not severed and they know what's going on, or that's how they, they condition and train you. And when I was in the military, we had an expression called drinking the Kool-Aid which is very common to just about anything. And Irv, like, he must pound three gallons of Kool-Aid a day because he's clearly, he doesn't even want to let them have their little bingo game, which might actually be helpful to get more people on board to to liking the past of, liking the founders, so to speak. And whereas Irv, it's like it's the greatest moment of his life to be able to go to that room, whereas everyone else is just like, yeah, we're not having to do our normal boring work routine. It's a great chance to go walk around. So they're really playing on a lot of the office tropes where you have the guy, you know, the guy who loves working. That's all he cares about. You have. What's his name? Uh, I can't. You have Zach Cherry playing Dylan, who thinks you who doesn't really love working, but he loves his prizes. So the incentives work to keep him happy. 
and he just has his theories, but he's clearly one of those types. And of course, you have uh, Adam Scott's character, Mark, who we have no clue what his motives are, really. He seems to be just as lost as the rest of us at times, but he comes off as like he knows what he's doing. However, it's like he could go either way. And then, of course, you know, we have the office rebel, Helly, who's, well, we'll see if she's rebelling next week or if the conditioning, if the break room has successfully broken her. Carry on, please. Share more thoughts. Yeah. Um, one of the pieces that really surprised me in the episode is we got a, a general idea of just how old the company could be. Now, again, anything that they give us in terms of information from the company, I treat as suspect, right? I, I completely treat as suspect. I feel like they could be lying to any one of the characters at any time. So lying to, you know, like, so lying to us by extension you know, is entirely possible. But the fact that they've put this thought in that the company is way older than I would have assumed watching the show is fascinating, right? Um, because now it makes you wonder how long have people been severed, right? And how long have they been doing these practices for? Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, and that's, that's wild thought. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead, John. Oh, no. I was just commenting on that comment you go ahead yeah it's it, it, the implications of that episode i mean they 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 asked so many more questions in just that sequence where they're going through the oh this is where you know these rich people lived and it was you know look how great they were and they've just done so much good for the world and it's like and then oh, and the creepy hall of smiles that one i just i saw that and i was like this is not what we think it is. This has got. To, this is probably something that's that's even more worse than what we suspect, or maybe it's not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is so hard to tell what the smiles mean. My first thought was exactly Helly's. Like I was watching it in the background uh, the first time I watched it, but I watched it again today, and I saw the Hall of Smiles, and then that's when I actually heard her comment, "What are we, a bunch of dentists?" And, like, for me, mixing in your point, Corian, about the age of the company, the age of the process, and then the amount of, like, secrecy to the data. Because, like, you don't put in this effort unless you really think the data you're hiding needs to be hidden. Whether it's for nefarious or profiteering reasons, you know? Like, are they hiding contracts? Are they hiding deals? Hiding potential negotiations or are they hiding like bombs and sleeper agents and stuff like that like we don't know all we know is that they're hiding it see, it could be that they're colgate yeah see here's the thing though i still contest that we're gonna find out that all the horrible stuff they do is for some sort of really amazing reason like this is literally a a world saving reason why they're doing it because mm, so like an actually honorable CIA, but they need to go to these lengths. Um, I was thinking more like something along the lines of the information needs to be processed to solve some major to prevent some sort of global catastrophe, but the oh, information well, itself cool. would cause a regular human being to, you know, like go insane or 
you know, have a, some sort of mental breakdown from it. So that's why they have to do oh, this. Oh, what if they're like hacking the Akashic record? And they yeah, can't like actually see it or touch it, but that's like they figured out a way to match the feelings to the symbols, and so they're hacking it. Well, they think they're like data mining and like hiding it. In reality, they're giving it more condensed to other readers who then flip it into other. That that's a wild thought. Yeah, or like, uh, let, let let's say for example, like this is pie in the sky, completely hypothetical. Uh, although, if I get this right, I want full credit. Um, but what uh, what I was thinking is like, say for example, there's something wrong with the planet, and the planet is gonna die. Okay, and they are going through the entirety of humanity looking for the people that would be the right people to survive this. Now, knowing that you were picking the people that would survive this catastrophe would be really hard for you to do if you knew that was what you were doing. Whoa. Right? So, that's we're not a huge thought. Right? Now, I'm not saying that that's what it is, but I'm saying it could be something along those lines where it's like this is such a necessary task, right? But it's, you know, but to do it would just be completely soul breaking, which is why they have to do this, why they have to separate your innie and your outie. Well, you could just add it to like, what if they're not saving the world's problem? What if they're saving America's problems doing that? You know, like they're predicting Anything. who wins and who dies based off of the information they're collecting. And that all plays into it. Like you just said, like you just can't handle that conundrum or that like, that yeah. much control over others so why just not just tell you you have no control over anything but in reality you are literally oh dude that's like them being the uh the nilnir from nordic legends like they're the yep. ones literally weaving the code of the universe and so they can't handle that responsibility so they don't even know they have that responsibility so then they're also told you guys have no control. We're taking all control away from you as you literally write the song of the universe. That's the idea. That's that's wild. That's, that's what I've been that's theorizing. That's a crazy is going concept. On. Yeah, that is uh, that is quite an impressive theory there, Carry On. I must say, and I think I, I definitely feel like the resolution to this this show, whether it happens in this season or probably more likely the second season, or however they end up resolving or explaining what's really going on i do think it's going to be one of those very moral gray areas as you suggest and i also think that the show is also still it, it's it's still just so much more too because it's it's also speaking a lot of com social commentary to the corporate world and also to the idea of ourselves of having split personalities and like i think that that there's a lot of commentary that they can go with where mark is still struggling with alcohol because of his deceased wife and it's almost like they're playing the severance element into doing some commentary on that and again as as john said it's like a messed up version of the office well that's also kind of how it's like in real life we go in we have our work personality and then we go home and we have our home personality. And I've always, me especially, and even in the military, this was a hard one for me to deal with. That's why I drank and smoked like, an, like a sailor. And that 
it was because I, I hated doing that. I hate being somebody else than I am with other people. And I, I, I feel it's disingenuous. I feel it's like, no, no, you need to be you all the time. I mean, not like, you know, I'm going to swear in front of people at work. There is a certain amount of work etiquette that I agree with. Absolutely. But not to the point where, you know, one day I'm, you know, let's say at home, I'm, I'm the big tough guy jock. No one tells me what to do. And then I go to work and I'm a kiss ass. Let it, no, that's just not going to happen. So I really like how the show does a very, and again, this goes back to what I said in the first episode, sci-fi has this beautiful way of, or no, it's the second episode. Sci-fi has this beautiful way of taking concepts and exaggerations and yet taking those exaggerations while also still simultaneously speaking truth to reality. And that's what I really love about the show. Yes, that is a cool theory that I think will also play into all this social commentary that's going on right now. Um, I just, I also like that the show isn't just trying to keep you hooked with a concept and with, with constant cliffhangers. It's actually got a lot of, there are a lot of implications to explore with the severance program. And like, we could literally do our whole two hour podcast on each episode. That's how much in depth it, it, we could really go with this. But at the same time, I still like leaving an aura of mystery on the one hand. I'll be impressed with your theory, but on the other hand, once I start watching it go through, I'll be like, ah, spoilers. <laughs> well, I mean, again, my theory depends upon, you know, what, what the actual work is about. Right. And yeah. I think when we, we're going to find that out at near the, near the peak of the, 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 the story arc, if we find out about it at all. Right. It, it's entirely possible they never explain what the significance of the work they're doing is. Um, the story could take some sort of twist down a different road, but headcanon, that's where I'm taking it right now until I'm proven different, uh, until I'm proven different because it adds this neat moral gray attitude. And to your point, look, sci-fi does its best when it's like a, an old mythology morality tale, right? It's teaching and it's using an over, um, like an overdone metaphor to explain real life, you know, quandaries. And yeah, look, when I'm at work, when I do my day job, I appear like a clean living family man. I'm the calm radio voice IT guy that's like, oh, well, you know. I understand. Oh, your mail's all, your email's all screwed up. Well, let's see what we can do to resolve that for you. Like, I'm just as, I sound like I'm just as likely to fix your computer as bake you a, a batch of cookies. Right. And then I come here. Right. And it's not because I'm trying to have a separate persona per se. It's that's what the job requires me to do is to have that calm, relaxed Mr. Rogers kind of feel to me to get people on my side so I can do my job but it winds up becoming this kind of alternate persona, right? In fact, it's rather kind of funny because there have been times where, say, somebody who knows me at work and knows me at home will come to me with, you know, very upset about something, and I'll start using, like, that IT calm, relaxed voice and taking them through, like, threat de-escalation. They'll just look at me and be like, don't work voice me, you know? Like, don't, don't don't de-escalate me. I want to be mad at you. Right. So uh, 
we're seeing the extreme of that, right? We're seeing the extreme of, is it worth it? And what are the benef benefits of this? And that's what this show is doing fantastically. Yeah, totally and, agree. Yeah, and I think I think there's nothing wrong with having that calm, uh, relaxed attitude. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, let, let, you, to take care of. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, wrong you're with having that. Huh? Well, you were in the army. You know, you know, uh, first uh, first oh. lieutenants are always slouching and uh, taking it easy and looking like they're uh, too cool for the rest of the troop, right? Oh, I, uh, I saw <laughs> just the, the, the change where it's like, you know, uh, the, the ones that bother me, and I didn't have too much interaction with this type directly, but I did see it and I witnessed it in the different departments where, you know, it, it, the, the supervisors getting reprimanded by either the, the commanding officer or, or the typically the executive officer. And they're, you know, it's like, yes, sir, yes, sir, okay, sir, I'll take care of it, sir. I'll just, <laughs> and then they come back to the department, you dumb idiots are in so much trouble. And it's like, yeah, I, I just saw what you were doing there. Like, I know you're not actually this tough. And, and, and this is it. You don't need that in any work environment. You, you can treat people with the same amount of dignity and respect, and you can treat basically anyone as pretty much an, an equal to, to an extent. Yes, you need an established chain of command because there comes a time when you basically have to use that command override to say, nope, these are your orders, go do them. Um, certain circumstances require it. I've, I've been on missions that are like, you know, we're chasing down a drug boat. This isn't the time to be having a mental breakdown, okay? This is the time to work. We can save the mental breakdown for afterwards. That that's one thing. So I it's for me it's more about having that balance between work personality and home personality that doesn't diverge too much. That you're able to, you know, yes, your friend felt like you were using your work voice, but honestly, from the interaction I've had with you, you also seem like that's how you just kind of want to be in real life too because it's easier to get along with people when you're calm and relaxed versus having split personality so yes there is a certain amount of work personality you can't get away from i'm not saying that you have to be a hundred percent who you are at home at work that that's impossible unless you're doing independent content creation uh but otherwise but even then we still have to put on a presentation as well you know we want to come off as yeah you should listen to us because we're not going to call you stupid um we got to respect our audience. So there is a certain amount of give and take. But what Severance is pointing out is you're right. It's pointing out the extreme of too much give and take, too much extreme from one side to the other. And that's what happens. People people see through that. When they see this, the, the divergence of personality to that extreme, they're like, I don't even know who you are. Who do I trust? Is the real you the work you? Or is the real you the home you? Or is the real you the party you? So... That's, or is there even a real you? Is there even a real you? All right. Uh, perspective writer comment in the chat from our friends at Super Gamecraft. Check them out. Always call the audience stupid. We do it. Seems to work well. Uh, you know, that might work for a soft art production. And and I don't disagree with, with the method for those that works. It's just we're trying to be a little more, I don't know. Personally, I'm... I'm just tired of assuming the audience's uh, intelligence, and I'm just going to talk the way I normally talk. Exactly. And and the way I normally talk is 
obviously personalized and obviously individual but at the same time i've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of different audiences for a plethora of different reasons so i feel like if you like the way i talk you're gonna stay here so whether you're stupid or not is irrelevant i'm gonna talk this way and i'm always gonna talk this way so you can always come here for consistent me exactly uh, i, I hear two hours entirely. every thursday for reason i'm oh, sorry carry on no i was gonna say i agree entirely um Again, being a witch, being a priest, I do a lot of ritual stuff throughout the year. And there's a, a general rule for witches that we always try to write a ritual when we're writing it for the most uh, experienced person that's going to be at the ritual. Because if we're writing it for the most experienced person, the most experienced person will get something out of it. And the people who are not as experienced will get to see what they're go working towards. That's and so awesome. they will be inspired. That's a right? really awesome way of thinking about it and saying it. I mean, that makes way more sense. Why not? If you show everybody the lowest level so everybody can join, you never go past the lowest level. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. I'll, you know, I mean, and that's that's just how we operate, right? We, we write um, what we're doing under the assumption that the person with the most experience in the room is going to get something out of it. And the if we do that, then still the youngest people in the room are still going to get something out of it. Um, they're going to get to see what they can be. Right? And that's that's a wonderful thing, I think. Well, it gives more reason to stay. Yeah. I may not be good today, but I could be that good tomorrow. And that is the whole reason. Like, I mean, that's part of what this show is showing us that we don't do. Like, these people are giving up the chance to get any kind of satisfaction out of joys from promotion. Like, they're going to work, and they might get a gift card if they wake up with a bandage. Yeah. They don't know what work they did. So when they go to their friend's house, and their friends are all talking about the books they wrote and the movies they saw and the things they did and contributed to society day in and day out, they're like, yeah, I... Uh... And I, I went to work and I got off work. Yeah, yeah it actually and I reminds meant to say me. This. Oh, sorry. I was gonna say it actually reminds me of when I was working for uh, a company that was dealing with pretty classified information. When I got home and somebody would ask me about my day, I would have to respond with "My day was fine." I wasn't allowed to say what actually happened. I wasn't allowed to talk about anything that could have happened at work. I just had to give this very neutral, very "My day was fine." It's ultimately why I left the job because I couldn't handle that level of separation between my two my two worlds. Yeah, yeah. No, the secrecy for me was was really starting to get to me as well, and that was one of the reasons that I ultimately uh, changed jobs. And well, not really the reason, but definitely one of the contributing factors. And so, yeah, I don't. That's why I don't like to be that way. I try to be as straightforward as I can. I try not to diverge too much. I mean, there's time and place. Oh, I wonder when we'll get to that part. Um, but I wanted to say the thought that came to mind with the first episode when he had his head injury was I found it interesting that they blatantly lied. And I found that interesting because I would think with an operation like this, you'd want to try and place it, play closer to the truth, which you know, maybe it would be too much of a ramification of, of, but like maybe instead on the note, what they could have written was 
you were uh, conducting an orientation for a new employee and, uh, you know, things didn't work out. We fired that employee. They didn't. But that's like an explanation that's more believable or that, that plays it closer to what actually happened versus, oh, you uh, hit your head on something. Here's a gift card. Because now all that does is create uh, more suspicion. Well, yeah, because you wonder if you got beat at the office and they just said it was an accident. Yeah. Right. I'm curious to see what Helly's uh, explanation for her arm injury is going to be because that's a little more than uh, that's something that takes a little more than a couple days to heal from. (laughs) Mm. That's a good point. All right. Well, now for my favorite part of this segment. Uh, any other predictions in the immediate future? I know we touched kind of on what the future resolution is, but what, what do we think is going to happen soon? Quinn, I'm going to let you go because you uh, definitely got it closest to the head the first time. <laughs> oh, well, well, thank you for that. Um, I think we're going to find out that the smiles there... Um, I think we're going to find out that every one of the people in those smiles is probably dead. That um, something about the reintegration process or whatever um, messed with their, their brain chemistry or messed with their head in some fashion. That it plastered that smile on them as they died. And that's the picture they took. And the reason why you don't see the rest of the face is because it's really grotesque after that. Pretty much my thoughts exactly. John, go ahead. I wonder what's going to become of Petey. Um, And I also wonder what the map means. I don't know if you guys caught that at the end of the, like the very end of the episode, he's changing out the pictures and there's a map of the building, and one of the parts is circled mind. And the directors, whenever they it. appear, they're quiet. Yeah, that, that's another part. He kept it. Why did he keep it? So, I, I'm not sure. I don't know what's going to happen next. I wonder if the next episode is going to be another throw around. Like, they gave us a little exposition, just enough to tease to get us to come for sure to the next episode, and then they might distract us for one it's really hard to tell but i'm excited i wonder if there's going to be an uprising i wonder how extreme the first one was or the last one was to like segregate the departments so aggressively but uh yeah i I don't know this one seems like there's a lot that could happen yeah i i so i i do think uh we do have a uh perspective writer comment in the chat there's spoilers in this video um i suppose i mean this is the official trailer that we're just cycling through uh it's definitely showing us stuff we haven't seen yet but i mean there's plenty of other theories and implications we can draw from Um, i mentioned we're discussing last week's episode before next week's airs before tomorrow's tonight's yeah tonight's airs (laughs) yeah no that's what i like about this we do a little overview recap of episode three and we we put in our predictions that we get to watch in like you know four hours so um yeah i think that episode four is probably going to i got a couple of bots to snipe in the chat and i do think that 
what we're going to see... Oh, no, wait, I already sniped those bots. Never mind. It just popped them back up again. I think we're going to see a lot more... X. It's just going to be probably more world-building, but there'll probably be something that'll happen that'll explain a bit more of what, what probably this company's doing, what's going on. Um, at the same time, I could also see it go in a different direction where we're going to see more of just Mark's life on the outside. And... Oh, the other thing that I totally forgot to bring up, the this is what I found really fascinating was that apparently it is not even allowed to suggest that reintegration is possible. I found this fascinating that why they would why would the board hammer that fact so hard? You know, mm. like. Why is it so important to them that they, no, no, integration is impossible. Like it lends more possibility that they, they're permanently severed now. You know what I mean? Like what's, what's the secret that's being hidden there? What's the secret that's being kept uh, to, to basically get to the point where, oh no, there's no such thing as reintegration. It, it's impossible. It, you can't do it. It's just not, it's just, that's what they seem to not only claim that, but it's fascinating that that it's it's like they believe it so much that the board members are intent on keeping it that way you know what i mean so it's i don't know i'm i'm interested to see more of course that's that's why we're here talking about it is because this this is a very well done psychological thriller and so yeah i think i think predictions for episode four are Mine are going to be that it's either going to go, it's either going to be more of what we saw last week, or it's going to focus probably more on Mark, or maybe somebody else. It might give us Irving's Audi. We might meet somebody else's Audi for once, mm. instead of just following Mark's, which I would like to see. I also um, think not this episode, but the next episode, like not this episode tonight, but the one after it, we're going to get some real answers, because we're going to have to if we're going to... You know, they're going to have to answer some of the questions at that point in the series. Like yeah. just from like a writing arc, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think we could maybe get away with one more episode of, of world building backstory exposition. But but yeah, you're right. Next next week should probably we'll probably expect some some thrilling action <laughs> yeah. in the form of, you know, passive aggressive office nonsense. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I think this show is great, and I am looking forward to seeing tonight's episode and next week's episode and, and continuing to, to track and, and keep track of theories. But I uh, I think we'll just have to wait and see at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think we've definitely discussed this one out. So we'll go ahead and transition to our next segment. For the first time, it's real. We've traveled to the far reaches of the galaxy. We got recruited by the Persistence. And now, we're ready. Come on, Dad. We gotta go save the ship. No. We're gonna save the galaxy. All right. We are now joined by our second guest, Meteculus, who has joined us on previous streams. We are going to discuss um, this 
thing. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think it's safe to call it a thing. A uh, very solid concept. Yeah. Image. I love it. It's Star Wars. I want to go on it. Is it Star Wars? I yeah. thought it was Star Trek. I can Did never tell with just the trailer? spaceness. <laughs> Joining the Resistance? Which one, Isis? Oh, oh God. Hey, I, uh, it's the only modern Resistance a, no, in the world stop, today. Stop. You're on quiet time. Matt, <laughs> welcome to the Star Wars portion of this episode. Uh, what do you think of Star Cruiser, buddy? Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> are you excited are you excited to go to this ship that has never been seen before on screen that's never had any cool actiony moment that that never sparked emotional value, value? Uh, i i am elated even i can't wait strong praise i'm ready for the next great star wars adventure with people on that <laughs> it's my dad. <laughs> yeah, uh, so the Star Wars Star Cruiser is officially live, and wow, is it something. Um, now, I do want to say that there are some good things that, that this, this attraction has going for it. It's got potential. Um, I don't want it to fail. None of us here actually want it to, to fail we'd like it to succeed however uh we'd like it to succeed on the right standards and that would mean having star wars that people should be excited about and unfortunately that's not the case with this thing uh Curion, you've uh you seem very eager to discuss this in in uh in pre-launch so why don't you go ahead and give us your thoughts all right so Let's start with some of the basics. Um, this Star Cruiser event storyline, what have you, is taking place between uh, The Last Jedi and The Rise of Palpatine. Or, sorry, The Rise of Skywalker. Um, the general premise is that you're on a Star Cruiser and the Resistance ha is potentially involved... Um, you're supposed to be, it's effectively supposed to be a two-day LARP um, in the most elaborate setting that money could buy. Uh, unfortunately, if you know a lot of the history about the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Park, and you know any of the history about how a lot of the systems were designed for it, you'll notice that all of the cut content that was supposed to go into Galaxy's Edge is appearing here. So that's led a lot of people to believe, well, did they cut the content because they just couldn't get it launched in time for, for it? Or did they cut the content so they could put it behind a $6,000 paywall, uh, paywall, which is effectively <laughs> what this behaves like. Um, I tend to believe that they might have cut a lot of it so that they could charge extra later. Um, I feel that they did some very odd choices here because in some ways... Look, the idea of going on a, a galactic cruise on a spaceship sounds awesome. But anytime we've ever seen that displayed in, um, you know, in science fiction, 
we're not getting modern cruise ship rooms. We're getting these, you know, practically palatial environments that we get to relax in, right? Even if you take a look at the Millennium Falcon, the Millennium Falcon footprint didn't make any sense because the rooms would, were massive in a ship that wasn't that massive. Like, where was the cargo hold in this ship if, you know, everyone has got these great spaces? It, there's a little, there's a little hook on the bottom of the, uh, on the bottom of the ship. That's the cargo hold. That's, that's what it does. It's right. Just, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Holds it's cargo. So, cargo hold. Right. And this is a hotel room that they, or this is a hotel that they, in theory, should have had the space to be able to give somebody a really decent, full-sized, regular hotel suite room and just dressed it up like you were in a Star Cruiser, which I yeah, think would have worked a lot better for people. Yeah, I made mention in this in my comparison video, um, but I do want to mention it. It's worth mentioning here. I mean, look, the artwork that was put into this thing is worth preserving. Um, there's a lot of dedication here, as you can see, that, that a lot of detail that I think is absolutely worth keeping. Like, this, this isn't just going to be a total you know, drop our pants and take a shit on Star Cruiser segment. It's no. we, we do. We're real fans here. Okay. We do care. We, we would be excited about this if it was like Luke or Han or even Obi-Wan, like give us even some prequel or Clone Wars love would go over better. Mm -hmm. So now we'll get into the price point a bit, but these accommodations, this room right here would be perfect on a real cruise liner for a windowless room for the less fortunate fans and passengers. You can do rooms similar like this in bigger fashion for the upper class, for the people that want to have balconies and stuff. But this, if I was on a cruise ship and I spent like, you know, seven, $800 for a ticket, this would be awesome. I would be yeah. all over this. I'd be so excited to be here. I'd be like, oh yeah, my room doesn't have a real window, but I got a spaceship window so I can feel like I'm part of the action, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, it's got a lot of potential and the ideas here are good, but they really should just build this into the Disney cruise line. If, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, the other issue that I, I had with this was where's the downtime. Like it's two hours of constant LARPing. And if that's what days. you want, again, I'm not going to pay $6,000 to be forced to go do chores. I mean, this is, it, it really, the price point is is what's really killing it for me, uh, to be honest. Uh, it, it feels like it's bringing a, a new layer of classism to Star Wars that I think is just going to have detrimental impacts because people are going to see this and go, oh, well, I guess Star Wars is for the rich people now. And it's like, is that really the image that we want? Now, I'm not saying that you can't have certain activities and stuff to try to appease the, the, the more uh, fortunate crowd. You just can't do it like this where it's so where this is blatant elitist isolation right here there's no option for for the poor people so to speak to go enjoy this and that's really my biggest issue with it is you know as much as i believe in making your own way i'm not trying to poo poo people for having money that's not the issue it's you're making this my issue is the advertising if you had isolated this ride and talked about it in isolated channels and networking with people that have, you know, $6,000 pocket change, I probably wouldn't care, probably wouldn't notice. My biggest issue is they are flaunting this so hard and trying to get everybody to see it. And it's like, 
you're maybe uh, going to attract 20%, if that, of the audience that you're trying to market to. And I think that's really my, my biggest complaint is you could set things up. I understand that they need to make money back on this asset. Obviously, a lot of work went into this. Look at it. Visually, it's good. But visually, so were the sequels also good. So, and then that's the other thing. On top of that, you have a premise that's not exciting. Uh, I, I just, I personally will never watch the sequel trilogy again. So, uh, why am I going to try and save $6,000 to go on the LARP boat? Yeah. I mean, and, and look, like, I am not saying in any way, shape, or form that it is not entirely possible you could get your $6,000 worth through this adventure. Okay? What Sorry I'm to saying... interrupt. We do have a comment in the chat. Oh, Six, go for it. $6,000 for the average person is not entirely possible without a lot of scrimping and saving. Yes, Crazy Koala 3, thank you for your comment. I do agree with that 100%. I want to take off of Crazy Koala's uh, point. Scrimping and saving are things of the past now we're just living paycheck to paycheck and six thousand dollars is tax refund if we're lucky that's where the I mean, poor is at currently yeah i mean look the, now keep in mind that that's six thousand dollars for four people right uh typically two adults two children um so that would be a family of four in theory right um it's not like you could get four of your friends together and try to split the cost somehow, right? Because two of those friends are sleeping in kitty bunk beds then. Or two of those friends are sleeping in kitty bunk beds. So it's not really feasible to do it with like four dedicated like LARPers, if you will, right? Um, you know, that being said, um, you know, it seems like the based on the leaked footage that we've received from some of the reviewers, uh, on YouTube, I, I I know the leaked footage is out there, but I, I'm fairly certain we can all agree that for copyright reasons, no one will show it here. But um, based on the leaked footage we've seen, I mean, the actors are very new to the roles. They're still getting their legs on that. Um, it doesn't look like they got the rehearsal time they need yet. But I mean, that'll come in time. I suspect that you're probably going to see a much better show two months from now than you're seeing right now in the previews. I hope so. Taculus, it sounds like you have some thoughts. Uh, $6,000. Dang, even if you did have that money. Like, you could have all of these actors dancing around you. You could have all of this marvelous food. All of this stuff. $6,000, though. By the way, up on screen, we got my favorite character, the space bum from Key West. <laughs> I was going to go with space D&D &D bard, right? And, and yes, we won't be showing any unapproved leak footage. This is actually, the footage that's on screen is from CNET. Uh, Bridget Carey, you see here, she actually did a good job doing an overview. I definitely recommend checking out her original to get a, you know, it's an enthusiastic look, but people are allowed to enjoy things i'm not gonna poo poo on someone's good time if you go to star cruiser and you thought it was the greatest thing ever cool man good for you <laughs> please share us please tell us your thoughts about the star cruiser so we can get more perspective me i i just i see all this oh that was the other thing they have this cool thing where they make you use your phone and i'm like 
I go on vacation to get away from my phone. I don't want to, like, again, this doesn't feel like a vacation. This feels like chores. I go to hotels to hack phones. So. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, I mean, look. The, the thing that I found very interesting, because I was actually looking at the theoretical possibility of going just so that I could review it. And the fact of the matter is they make it quite clear that they do not want anyone using their phones to take unapproved pictures while you're in there. But you have to use your phone to interact with many of the features and to keep your itinerary on the ship. So it's like Schrodinger's cell phone throughout the entire design of this. I, I don't think it's a bad concept. I just think that they needed... It really felt like the two primary designers who were doing this whole thing didn't talk to each other, and that's part of the problem. Um, I'm not... And again, I'm not saying that it couldn't be great. I'm saying that there's a potential... A lot of potential for greatness here. There's a lot of cool things this could do, and a lot of neat tricks the technology that they're using here is using. It's just how it's being applied is leaving us with a lot of questions, right? I, I um, think I think a know, lot of... Sorry, I don't want to interrupt, but I kind of oh, I, I feel was going like... to say, like, you make custom, um, you know, unique um, cocktails specifically for the bar on the Star Cruiser, but you charge this much and make people pay premiums for those cocktails? I mean, look... If I'm going on a cruise, I'm getting drunk. I'm getting Look, really drunk. And you, you can't you, get drunk if you're paying $18 per cocktail. I saw that literally in the menu. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 100% on board. Yeah. Like I you know, like that's that's part of the equation here. Now, the question becomes, is it these prices? Is it this 6 grand to get for entry plus however much? right now and the price is going to drop once they get the first you know couple of groups through like it's a premium now but it's going to go down to reasonable shortly after or is it always going to be this price that's the real question yeah john it sounds like you had a thought yeah i my biggest thing is i feel like if you're gonna buy everybody's favorite everything and you're gonna claim to be the proprietor of the most quality film and production and theme parks in all of the history of ever uh step one first principle know your audience i don't know which star wars fans this one was made for but it's never appeared in any of the star wars ever it's never been on any of the star wars games ever none of these screens match with anything star wars they're literally this is literally just space day you could put this at the discovery center and everybody would be like this is the coolest space simulator i've ever been in and i loved it for every penny it was worth but when you put star wars on your space simulator and you're a multi-trillion dollar international conglomerate I think you deserve to be doo-dooed on when you deliver us doo-doo. Like, you don't know your audience, and you failed. Like, own it. Take this message, and then actually be better, because you're trillionaires. I didn't didn't want to turn this into... 
Yeah, and I didn't want to turn this into a rehash of my compare and contrast video, but you bring up a, a very solid point that I feel we need to address, and so I'm going to play a clip real quick and address that, so just bear with me. You're invited to engage your senses, transport your spirit, and boldly go where no one has gone before. The 24th century is coming to the Las Vegas Hilton. Star Trek, the experience. Feel the excitement as you beam up to the bridge of the Enterprise. Travel through space and time aboard a Starfleet shuttlecraft. And dock at the alien outpost Deep Space Nine for the finest in dining and shopping. Make your plans to be among the first in the galaxy to beam up to 24th century adventure. Star Trek The Experience. Coming soon to the Las Vegas Hilton. So, I actually did ride the Star Trek experience on three separate occasions. That's why I made the video that I did doing a compare and contrast. Now, there are some drastic differences. Okay, you don't live on the Enterprise for three days, and it, it, it's just a quick little 18-minute. You get it, it, This was actually really cool. When they do it, you get beamed aboard. They take you into this room. You think you're going to board a shuttle, and then all of a sudden, the lights flash. It goes completely dark. You hear a bunch, you feel a bunch of wind, and then all of a sudden you hear the TNG beaming noise, and next thing you know, you're standing on a transporter pad on the Enterprise. It was one of the coolest moments to, like, as far as this type of live-action LARPing goes, it is still to this day, I will sing praise about it, because it is really good. Now, the key that I wanted to bring up, because I don't want to go too much into the compare and contrast, um, at least if we can help it, what, which trailer of the two that we watched was more exciting? Carry on. Oh, clearly the Star Trek uh, experience. Um, John? Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I was going to say the Warp Core Breach, by the way, the experience was an amazing drink. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you've been too. <laughs> awesome. John? Uh, yeah, Star Trek for sure. I don't know that guy and his family. I don't care for their experience. I have my own family to care about their experience. And then when I see the price point, I go, well, I guess we're not that family. Sorry, kid. Yeah. <laughs> Matt? Star Trek, for sure. I'm like pretty Randy after that con after that commercial. Mm. That was yeah, good and that stuff. thing is as old as 1997. So, yep. I mean... It, it just shows the stark difference. And this is the other thing. The Star Trek experience took place on the Enterprise. Okay. Not not this thing. It took place on a ship that you know. Like, even if they did several... See that Millennium Falcon right there? Okay, build like 20 more of those and have like a little cottage thing. And then you can have them like interact and, and there's any number of things that you could do. There is nothing iconic about Star Cruiser, and that's ultimately what I why I think it's it's going to struggle. Even though it's booked out for the next four months, yeah, it's booked out because it's played to a certain class of people that 
literally live on the premise of one-upping each other, okay? All the people that can book it out did book it out, and everybody else is still going to not book it out. Well, exactly. actually, if you take a look at the bookings today, there's a fair bit of them now available. It's no longer booked for four months solid anymore. So wow. there, is that because more have become available or because more people decided that they changed their mind? Well, that's the real question, right? My suspicion, based on what I was seeing, is that there's been a fair number of cancellations. I've actually got a theory on that. There are some share. specific products that are only available if you um, if you sign up for the Star Cruiser. So, for example, there was a if you took a look in the gift shop there, there was the Twi'lek uh, ear like or tail uh, head tail headband kind of piece that is only available if you have booked a room for the star cruiser so my suspicion is some people booked specifically to get certain pieces of merch and then canceled their bookings just so that they could get that merch and then we'll presumably uh, presumably sell it on ebay and recoup any lost money that they may have gotten it's a pay to stay and pay to play experience. Yep. <laughs> it's like paying for life, paying for fun, and paying to pay for both of those. It's a Chinese knockoff of Westworld. <laughs> well, there, there's um, uh, God, there's a, a pretty famous YouTuber that coined the phrase for certain video games, "fee to pay" game as opposed to free to play. Mm, um, fee to pay. There you go. Right, I feel like this is a fee to pay LARP, really, in in some in some aspects of it, and mm. and that's a shame because <laughs> this could have been so awesome. But see, Corey, I think it's so funny you keep calling it a LARP, but it's made by the only people that for some reason don't understand anything about LARPing. Like things are cult classics because there's a cult following of people like us behind them, not because you know one day disney decided it was a classic like star wars has been beloved since george lucas decided to spend his last dollar trying to make the first one and then he didn't even know where it was gonna go and so that's why like i give credence to it being such a sloppy show in terms of like canon and everything making sense and it always being like perfectly timed it's like you took somebody who took their last ditch effort at making it rich and they won and they were sitting there like, I didn't see that coming. But the fans, they love it all for their own reasons. And it looks like Disney literally just picked the reasons they liked and then made sure that nobody can afford, like anybody who actually loves Star Wars probably cannot afford this. And anybody who can afford this probably only saw the new Star Wars because their kids dragged them to it. Yeah. So they don't care, period. And that to me is, it's, again, know your audience. If your audience is getting the most fans through all of these rides, you need your cult followers to go first. Yeah, You should have just held a LARPing competition that then those people get to be the first four months to book. This isn't made for for the audience. Now, for for the uh, listeners on the podcast, um, the viewers, I paused it specifically at the classism within classism <laughs> this is the captain's table for an extra thirty dollars you can sit at the captain's table now 
Star Trek Experience, near the end of its life, did something stupidly similar, where uh, they created this thing called the Captain's Lounge, where you could pay extra money for you and your buddies to go hang out. And, and they paved over one of the best parts of the DS9 promenade to squeeze it in. Um, Star Trek fans, regardless, rich or poor, they don't care for that stuff. Okay, One of the core values of being a Trek fan is that all humans are equal, of equal value, um, and that just doesn't work. So, <laughs> the main character of here, the new trilogy couldn't afford to stay in this freaking spaceship. To their new credit here, exactly. To their new credit here, um, none of the stormtroopers. They're out either. in front of all the other not as bourgeois spenders for this thing. So you get to flaunt your extra thirty dollars. This in front is... of all these people and and you get exclusive food items oh and the and the captain comes and, and talks to you so you, you have all these characters that you don't care about or don't even know that that you get more interaction with it's like thanks i'm glad i have some you know f-list celebrities to to get chummy with here they could literally just refilm the first scene of uh a new hope in here and we just pick any person from the audience to be Princess Leia, and she has to explain where she put the the protocol and everything for the Death Star, because those are the only people that can afford to be on this ship is Princess Leia, and uh, she's dead. Oh, no, oh, this is I my would favorite. say all the casino goers at Canto Bite. Oh, there we go. Alaska. There we go. Yeah, all the I people that done. got their shit raided in Episode 2 of the new trilogy. <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite part in all of this oh by the way spoilers coming up for those watching if you care which i'm assuming if you're watching this review you probably don't um at least not about being spoiled because i'm not going on this anytime soon i'll tell you that much um what i also like too is at the very beginning you know the first order comes on board uh you know if there's one thing that i feel is always missing from my vacation it's it's vacationing with fascists from space Space cops, dude. That's I'm my sorry. At that point, board. I'd be demanding a refund. I'd be like, I don't want to hang out with the bad guys. I'm here to relax. What is this crap? I, I, I'm just like, I'm so glad that like my dad will will not go, will never be able to go on this because I am fairly certain, having spent as much time in the military as he has, when a dude points a blaster at his face, that guy, the blaster would be in my dad's hands, and the guy would be on the floor. <laughs> And there'd be some Under Siege 2, uh, or sorry, Under Siege 1, actually, action happening very shortly afterwards. I mean, he could probably, he could probably walk up to the guy. He'd miss every shot. Uh, well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It sounds like your dad's going to pull a hitman and just suddenly be wearing a Stormtrooper costume. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> Full access. Oh, man. Matt? Now that you've seen some of it, before we get into this amazing fight scene, what are, what do you think? What what are some of your thoughts on this now? Um, I think it's largely, I it, just kind of based on off of everything that I've seen so far, and a lot of the things that you guys have talked about, like paying thirty dollars for an exclusive menu, that's not going to last. It's thirty dollars. If someone has already paid six thousand dollars to get in. Who doesn't have an extra 30 bucks to get to the, quote, captain's table? All right, take all of these ingredients. This this is just me personally. This is the culinary part of me. I love to cook. 
Um, take all of those ingredients, mix that in with everything else, because the whole cafeteria might as well be the damn captain's table. <laughs> and make something really cool. That's Seriously. just me. Like, who doesn't have 30 extra bucks? All of your shows are... lose $6,000 to go do chores. All of right. your fans are, are, like, all of your movies are about being nice to everybody. And the first thing you do when you buy the biggest cult classic in history is you only let your rich friends come. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you are the biggest hypocrites ever. Like, and you can't call it anything other than hypo- hypocrisy. Because they literally write these films and produce these films and produce products that are like, be nice to everyone, poor or rich. Everybody deserves love and respect. Even your gay sister, even your rich, angry dad. They deserve love and respect. But only your rich, angry dad can afford to come stay at our Star Wars tour. Mm-hmm. And Carrie Owen's rich, one angry dad. Carrie Owen's rich, angry dad's going to be leaving in handcuffs because some idiot pointed a blaster at him. Like, yeah. it's just, it just so much that's just already bad with this right out of the gate. Including the best part, this oh, high, high, high my class choreographed sword fight. Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just watching this right now. This is terrible. Oh, oh, but I wait. hate everything about oh, no, it already. Is just like the Morgan County Voyager experience, it just gets worse. I paid fifteen dollars. Is he gonna to lift see, the X-wing? Like, two of these movies and oh, they look this is my favorite this. part i'm gonna replay it because it's worth watching again oh my right, god watch real quick oh, lightsaber comes on but i gotta put it on the floor and swap it out for one i can make contact with yeah so oh, to god. give a little bit of not gonna make contact though that's the best part now to give a little bit of context on that original saber the first one she pulled out they actually spent a ridiculous amount of R&D money figuring out how to build a, a lightsaber that, at least in theory, will ignite and, and be, you know, a quote-unquote real-ish lightsaber in real life. The problem is, if you connect with it, um, it the blade will, like, it'll just go right through whatever stunt weapon you're using. And it's pretty dangerous as well. Um, so that's why they had to swap it out. But any Save it for the movie. Well, I was gonna say any uh, decent magician they could have brought on would have taught them how to do a better sleight of hand here. I magicians. Penn and Teller could probably have come up with a more even... practical solution. It's a yeah. potato, a real potato. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, I feel just... like. If you bust into Parker's repertoire of original film choreography and directing, you can find a more accomplished lightsaber duel than this. And that was when we were under 18. Yeah, I shot that fan film when I was 16 years old. And yeah, I definitely agree. Our, Our fight scene is way better, not to toot my own horn and then... Oh, not. this is my favorite this part. Is, this is so one. bad. That was a burn to them. Yeah. Your first ever choreographed fight scene whooped this trillion dollar industry. Yeah, that's why Disney wants to crack down on fan films now. It might uh, be why their money is all fake. 
Yeah. Oh, and and then we get to watch a light show on a on a screen. That's our that's our big finale. You know, save oh, money on real fireworks. But these people are taking pictures of a video. Or, or did they get the did they get the warning before oh. taking the photos? You're finally allowed to pull out your phone and take pictures of your experience. Right. Make sure well, they, to these would be these would be reviewers, right? So because they're reviewers, they're they're ta- they're told exactly when they're allowed to take out their phone and take a picture and what <laughs> to take a picture of and at what angles are they're permitted to take them at. Here you, here you I, go, guys. I you take pictures of our screen now. I bet you they did a whole calibration thing where they had some sensor on the other side of the screen going, oh, nope, yours is at the wrong angle. Camera number 42, please lower. Give it a more yep. tilt. Make the experience yep. better. Yep. Oh, my God. So not only... So they can choreograph Disney's their press release, but they can't choreograph their fight scene. Not only did Disney swindle you out of six grand, but they actually got you to take pictures of a screen with your yeah. phone. Which I've done before, but I don't do that. The, like it's the it's the it's the the reason why, right? Like I when I go to watch a fireworks show, I do take a couple of photos just to have as the memory. I'm not there like you know recording it the whole time. Oh, I'm so excited to watch this through my screen. No, I like to. T- mm-hmm. It's fine to take a few pictures as as a reference. So, so when you go through your phone, you're like, oh yeah, that was a cool fireworks show, and oh what a great time we had, right? It's fine to take those pictures for the memories. These people have their phones up the whole time the fireworks show is going off and it's not even real. Oh, I know. You mm-hmm. you spent six thousand dollars on a LARP boat and now you're taking pictures of a digital video screen. What the hell is wrong with you? No room to sit and enjoy it. You're all just staring, standing, looking linear at a theater screen. Oh my god. Oh, man. Uh, you know what's ridiculous too? If you take a look, they've got those uh, banners up on either side there, right? If I was, you know, going to be choreographing this at all, and I had to ditch out one lightsaber for another, I would have 100% hid the lightsabers between behind that uh, between, between the banners, that, uh, behind the banner, and just have it swap out there, and it would have looked seamless. Yeah, I would have done this whole like, like lightsabers turning on, drop my hands down into my pose, swap out for the other one. Yeah. You can't even see. Yeah. No, this, for six, this is for $6,000 in that scene we just saw a little bit ago, Kylo should have thrown that lightsaber into the audience and be like, one lucky sandwich gets a lightsaber <laughs> for six yep. grand. <laughs> and, you know, cut in half because it's a lightsaber. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you get something. One lucky you, fan you gets probably to buy this it. lightsaber. Even if they catch imagine. it, they still have to pay. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> like an awkward auction. Oh, you got it. When are you going to pay? Surcharge oh, like... on your mini bar. $8,000 for our retrofitted <laughs> oh, <like>, lightsaber. <laughs> that's like throwing the bouquet into the audience. It's like, ah, I want to be married and paid like $30,000 for a marriage. Yay! <laughs> Whoever catches it has to pay for it and my wife's wedding. Oh, also, if you, if you go back a little bit and take a look at Chewbacca, isn't he a little short to be a Wookiee? Like, take a look. They got short Baca here. Like, look at it. He's the same size as the... He's shorter than the Stormtrooper. Is he a short... <laughs> 
Is he a short Wookiee or a tall Ewok? Yeah, I was gonna say that's two Ewoks standing on each other's shoulders. Guys, let's be honest. We finally found Sasquatch. Disney was able to pay for him yeah. to come in for being a attraction. <laughs> that's right. It's it's two Ewoks masquerading in, in a uh, a Wookiee suit because they want to get turned. <laughs> they couldn't find the trench coat and hat, so they just went with the Wookiee costume. Correct. You, you pull it off, and there's the Ewok underneath, and he's just like, it's a living. <laughs> it's a living. <laughs> it, it turns out it's just two Jawas trying to get everybody's money. Like, I just want to have a good time. Give it. <laughs> they take it off, and it turns out it's a fully taxidermy Wookiee. I mean, these are the same people who to take pictures of a of a screen with fireworks on. So um, yeah, you know that's <laughs> well. I don't know if you know. Right. <laughs> There's one person there, like right in the middle of the screen, and she's just checking her messages. Yeah. Left, little <laughs> well, what's left. What's this weirdo doing here? What's he doing? He's watching it He's without just his enjoying phone? it. What is this? Um, yeah, this other chick's just checking if she got service. Me messaging like messaging her boss and boss is like hey you getting the video stuff uh, you got it boss <laughs> this guy's having the time most everyone of his has life. their phones out for it for a digital fireworks show this is this is amazing uh, you know what disney well played good job you, you managed to to just really win some people over with this one I think Pink Floyd's life is way impressed. better than this, TBH. You know, I feel like a lot of this is just attributed to you have a massive corporation that owns this massive thing, like Star Wars, right? Um, and then this company says, oh, you're a smaller company, and you want to do this hotel thing in Las Vegas? Yeah, sure. Why not? We're going to take this much of your money. Go ham, dude. Um, but the folks employed at the smaller company um, maybe didn't, I don't know, get the, they didn't get the vibe, they didn't get the feeling, they didn't have the experiences that folks who grew up on the entirety of Star Wars grew up with. Except <clears throat> episode one, we can forget about episode one. But uh, <laughs> I think episode okay. two sucks more. More on that in a future episode. Oh, oh more on that in a future have a episode. On that at some point, because uh, I actually I think I love episode one. Yeah. All right, machete order. I will die on that hill. I am happy to die on the hill of machete order. <laughs> Fair enough, but I, I will say that. Um, of the prequels, the one of the prequels I did not like was actually episode three. I liked the first two. Now mm. that's an opinion. Yeah. That is so I liked the first and third. I didn't like the second one because it was too Romeo and Juliet for me. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. look, George Lucas can't write a romance. We know this. That's that's. We fine. knew it from the get. He put a brother and sister together. Right, but. Um, <laughs> There are things God. that the second movie does that I feel like are tricks that are used only in that episode, and it makes it worthwhile if you know where to look for them. And I agree with that about the first one. 
first one I felt like had the most chance to create the most diverse universe, and then they killed it with the second one, and the third one was just really pretty. Okay. Just fun to watch. Okay. Uh, again, uh, you know, a debate for another time, but I, I think, though, the Star Cruiser is really the epitome of what I'm going to call the problem with Lucasfilm right now, which is you really have two groups inside Lucasfilm. You have the guys who are, you know, believe in the original trilogy. They believe in Luke and, and Leia and, and Han, and they believe even the prequels are, are decent and, and set the stage nicely for the next set. And then you have the guys that are like, we have to destroy everything that came before Disney Star Wars and just do whatever we want to do for Star Wars because it's ours now. We own it. We can do whatever we want to it. And anyone who disagrees with us is just wrong. And we'll figure out why they're wrong later. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a lot of what they decided to do when it when it comes to Lucasfilm and that you've got these two camps and I feel like the Galactic Star Cruiser was really built by like the, the Disney sequel diehards and kind of ignored the original trilogy guys and I think this is the the end result of that right we, yeah. we've hit peak sequel trilogy nonsense it, it's it just shows the disconnect it just shows the disconnect between these these corporate guys and the uh... <clears throat> anyway sorry as I was saying I think it just shows the disconnect between between corporate and the fans I mean it, it's the same thing it's the whole reason I did my comparison to Star Trek is because it was just it's it's the same thing it's bad executive decisions and that's a lot of the issue that I have with oh my sound changed give me a second it sure yeah. did I noticed my stuff took a crap so I had to come back in and you know hot professional studio guys anyway uh there you go that's better all right so what i'll say was there's a clear disconnect here with the corporations and the fans and there always seems to have been because the corporation owners are money 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 and the fans are like well they're the fans and if you don't treat them with enough respect they're not gonna respect your product so we see that i'm still coming through on someone then I don't know whose volume's got it up, or I don't think it's through carry on. It'd be funny if it was all on yours. <laughs> anyway, what we have is a, a you have a continued disconnect because people they want to make money. Well, the thing is with fan projects, you got to think of them like you got to think of fan stuff like uh, an investment especially with big properties like this. And you need to think of your fans of uh, as potentially, you got to think of it as like a slow burn, that your returns are going to come back over a long period of time. And that's what ultimately led to Star Trek experiences failure was that they were just trying to throw a bunch of stuff into keep the fans interested, but also to try and quick make a quick buck turnaround. Well, that's kind of what I see with the Star Cruiser. The price point is high because of how much Disney blew making it. And they want to make that money back quickly. 
And that's the problem is they're focused on trying to make their money back so fast that they're giving us average Joe fans who, you know, lives typically paycheck to paycheck. That's the problem is that we can't afford. I don't have $6,000 to just go do this. I wish I did. That's my goal to be there someday. But even if I was there, I'm not blowing $6,000 on Star Cruiser. Um, but a lot of it, as you as you mentioned, carry on for what what I did catch of what you were saying is that, yes, this is part of the corporate disconnect that we have a problem with the sequel trilogy, because the whole goal of the sequels, as we now know, was to get away from the original Star Wars. And that's I've heard uh, claims and theories that part of Kathleen Kennedy's plan was so that she didn't have to pay royalties was to basically create its own Star Wars. Well, here's the problem. No one likes your product. And those that do aren't in the majority of fans. I now we're I, transitioning to the state of Star Wars. What yeah, I would this is like to Star see, Wars address. Yeah, what I would like to what I would have liked to have seen and what they could probably what they could still do if they really care. And if they're interested in actually making money is Disney has the resources to have multiple Star Wars properties going at once. They don't need to be this idea that they just need to focus resources in one property or another is kind of silly at this point, because you have a divide of fans that actually do like the sequels. They, they do exist. They are out there versus the fans that don't. And for me personally, I would like to see more Knights of the Old Republic take the center stage in Star Wars. I would watch. I would. I, Donnie, you say that you're going to give me a KOTOR TV series that is like 90% accurate to the video game. I'm there. I'm buying that shit. I'm, I'm, I'm watching it every day. I'm talking about it. I'm enthusiastic. KOTOR, to me, came off as the adult Star Wars or the one that you could do for the more grown-up fans. So it's okay if you want to do the sequel trilogy stuff. It just seems that KK needs to hang her ego and allow other versions to come out. And yes, it might happen that people might not like what you wanted to do. I understand that. I've I've been in similar situations like that. I mean, not necessarily big productions, but I've, I've felt those feelings of, of having to accept that people just don't like what you are doing and they're not interested and somebody else's ideas are better. What I have found is that instead of fighting that, it's better to just work with the people who have those superior ideas and to try to get your own through that and, and try to work with them. It's better to work with people than work against them. And that's Disney's biggest disconnect is that they've been working against fans and not with the fans. You want to do your High Republic stuff. You want to do your, 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 you know, Ray and Kylo Ren stuff. That's okay. But it's not going to work out in the long run if you're not going back to this, to I, to the original series, or like I said, bringing up Kotor. So that's that's my suggestion for the state of Star Wars: is give the fans what they want, and you have the resources to give so much, and that just makes the universe all the richer in the long run. Whether or not you like the acolyte, whether or not you like the sequels. It doesn't matter. It's all Star Wars in the end. And, and eventually fans will develop a mutual respect for each other because it's like, okay, I don't like the prequels, but you do. We can have a Star Wars discussion about that. Well, because guess what? I have my favorites. You have your favorites. John has his favorites. Matt has no favorites. So that's how we can, we can have those mm -hmm. discussions. 
I do want to I do want to say something on the state of Star Wars, especially in terms of the overall state when it comes to like what the writers are doing, what the writers are attempting, whether it's the new trilogy, the old trilogy, or the main trilogy. The new trilogy, it to me like it's more about a shout out to the writers as a fan and a writer. I am so sick and tired of writers taking other people's ideas and then just creating complete doo-doo, even though thousands of other writers have taken hundreds of thousands of hours to create content for you to read up on, study on, figure out the different intricacies of each different like metal group. Like Mandalorian is a perfect example of a writer who took the time to get to know the audience, get to know the lore, get to know the world. And then they just wrote a bounty hunter movie with a passionate father character. Like that's what I'm so tired of is writers are like, no, I really want to write this really cool romance in the Star Wars universe. Do it. But know the Star Wars universe before you start writing. Don't come at the Star Wars universe with your story and then try to overlay it. Because the Star Wars universe is already its own super created layers. Like the amount of people who have made lore for the stuff that George Lucas literally only wrote one movie for. Like the first A New Hope was Star Wars. That was the whole Star Wars there were no other wars that happened until the studio came back to George Lucas and said, no, we want two and three. Let's go. And then two and three came and then they came back again for one, two and three. And George Lucas was sitting there as a writer like, I don't know what I'm creating. I created a cult classic and there's a cult following. But George Lucas, at the very least, tried to respect his cult. And whether he lost to money, whether he lost to pressure with, from within his studios, whether he lost to pressure from external audiences, it doesn't matter. He lost. But his fans came back. I don't love Star Wars for any of the singular movies. One single movie, it's a good movie. It's fun. I enjoyed it. But I love Star Wars because of all the books I've read about Star Wars. I love all the Lego Star Wars games. I yeah, love yeah. all of the Kotar. I love Swotar. Like, I love the universe that George Lucas allowed all these other great writers to create within and then suddenly shut everybody out of. And I think that's where Disney needs to just learn from George Lucas's mistake and open it back up. Give the real writers their chance to respect the universe and create you multi-million dollar franchises. Because like Star Wars, you could literally just make the Tatooine saga. And every single thing that's ever happened on Tatooine is an amazing adventure that I want to observe. Whether it was pod racing or it was the Mandalorian saving a tiny little city. That's what yeah. I want to see. Well, I just love the universe that was created and given to us. And there are other writers better suited to writing your content. And who cares who your director is if they can respect their writers and their audience. Like, respect your audience. You bought an audience you're a trillion dollar company there are zero excuses for failure you're supposed to be the best of the best too big to fail you failed fix yeah. yourself Own yeah it. i i think after obi-wan we need a we need a nice long break from tatooine for a few years uh but carry on i know you've got some thoughts um you're gonna have yeah. to hold them though oh matt go ahead <laughs> 
You know, honestly, I don't have a whole lot of opinions that haven't already been articulated. Okay. Carry on. You've been past the torch. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think if they wanted to fix the Star Cruiser and kind of unite the fans, because there's one thing that the sequel trilogy fans and the the original fans for the most part agree on, and that's the Mandalorian is fairly good. If they had <laughs> rethemed the Star Cruiser based on the Mandalorian, we'd be in. Be, this wouldn't be as much of a discussion. We'd probably still discuss the price point, but it wouldn't be a divide. It would be a, okay, well, we all generally agree the Mandalorian is fairly good. Setting it up in like the Mandoverse or whatever you want to call it, like that era, um, probably would have worked. We could have had a floor show where the Mandalorian shoots a bunch of guys and drags them off as bounties or whatever. And, you know, maybe one of them's a stowaway and you're trying to help them. And then the Mando shows up and drags them off and, you could you do could things with that. Literally right? just created Tatooine in one of our plethoras of deserts. And everybody would pay $6,000 to have a Mando actor come into the bar and say, I'm looking for a bounty and leave. Yeah. yeah you know, and like grab some random alien dude and be like, you know, you can come, you can come in warm or cold, right? Like, you know, we, we all would have like fawned over it. You could have uh, made stone huts oh, in the desert even, that we already have. Even yeah. take it, even take it a step further and have the audience be random, member of the audience who pays be randomly picked to have that interaction. I mean, that oh, yeah. would just You're be... just being exited out of the bar. Yeah. I mean, hell, that, that whole, um, that whole sequence um, where the First Order shows up. Hell, you know what would have been amazing? And this would have, like, solved 90% of the problem with the lack of LARP in this LARP, because that's what it feels like. Um, everybody gets shunted to their rooms. A few minutes later, um, R2-D2 shows up driving into your room and drops off a couple of blasters, and you've got a laser tag game between you and a bunch of stormtroopers through the halls. I can't think of anyone that wouldn't have been like, this is the best experience ever. Make a little mini theme park that is literally just desert roads with some desert huts, and you have all of your actors be stormtroopers, and everybody else is the aliens. Let your fans buy their costumes on the way in, rent their costumes on the way in, and then suddenly... The Mandalorian shows up, does his thing, but all these people are like, oh, we're just visiting this little town. We didn't know we stopped in Tatooine. What the f- is going yeah. on? And that Carry makes on. it even crazier. Carry on, I think it came up. I can't remember if you I can't remember if you brought it up, but supposedly I think we saw it on Pop Culture Breakdown where the uh you can't even bring your own costume. So you actually can. Okay. But there are restrictions. So, like, there are... So, I guess there's guidelines you have to follow is the best way to put it. So, you can bring your own costume. You can make it. But, for example, uh, adults can't be wearing a mask that covers their face. So, like, you couldn't, like, go in showing up in full Mando armor, for example. Right? Which, let's be honest, we're all gentlemen here. That's really what gentlemen want to wear to work. But anyway... Um, right. I'd wear it at um, home. Yeah, right? Like, you're sitting around watching TV, full, you know, Beskar armor, right? Yeah. Um, 
you know, but so like, for example, that, right. You cannot dress up in an alien costume that would cover your face. So like, for example, Twilight, probably okay. Rodian, not so much, right. Or Wookiee, not so much. Um, the costume has to make general sense to the world. You could not, for example, dress, like, for example, um, PD, you probably couldn't pull off a princess Leia. Oh. Right. Yeah, sorry, man. I was That's sure it. I could make this beard into buns, but yeah, I guess. You know. Yeah, um, but like as an example, right? Um, so those are pretty, they're fairly general. They're fairly open guidelines. But here's the trick. You cannot wear those costumes down to Batuu, like into the Galaxy's Edge Park, where, you know, you spend probably about four or five hours at least a day, Right. Uh, during this 48-hour excursion. So you'd have to get changed because there's a concern that, you know, you would look like one of the characters if you're an adult. Kids can wear whatever they want. Who cares, right? Um, but... Unless they're a 6'6", six, 12-year-old. Six, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, yeah, like that weird uh, that weird kid that plays on your son's... That pitches for your son's uh, oh, softball no, my, team. My wife's youngest brother is a 6'6", six, 16-year-old. Six, and he was, he's been 6'6 six, six for a few years. Just hit a growth spurt real young. I was yeah, going to say, sorry. what are they feeding him? The cruelty of adulthood comes early for him. Yeah. <clears throat> Brando, it's got what plants crave. Electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that reminds me. Uh, we do need to take a quick second to uh, take a quick uh, note and get a word from our sponsors. We don't have any. All right. Like and subscribe. Oh, Matt, what's going on in your... Are you peeing? Nope. I am running the sink. Okay. Sorry, I just got a little scared there. Like, there's other streams that that's okay on. We kind of <laughs> don't want to do that. I, too, have <laughs> run from my sink. We, yeah, no streaming on stream. Um... I got you. I'll keep it in mind. <laughs> no, it, it's yeah, it, it's really sad that that they they do that because it, it. What's the point of going to a Star Wars LARP if you can't LARP properly? You know, right? And and that was the biggest my issue with the with the Voyager experience was like the crowd is literally just flies on the wall to this overblown, over dramatized situation, and so that's why without more crowd interaction in these events, that's that's kind of what you need so yeah state of star I mean, wars all right we will absolutely be reviewing obi-wan so does anybody have thoughts regarding obi-wan coming up do us a favor and don't screw up because obi-wan yeah. is one of the most loved characters ever and if you didn't figure it that out while you were writing episode one of season one well that's your bad and i'm going to be vicious like i'm there are certain things where i want to be very nice on this podcast i will be very nice to first tries but when you're playing with star wars i'm getting really tired of that being the excuse because it's the most expensive one of the most expensive uh companies or, or ips to date but George Lucas, an independent individual, was smart enough to maintain individual merchandising rights. And he literally created a, a classic. Like, I say cult classic, and that more refers to The Matrix 
than compared to Star Wars. The Matrix did a trilogy with a cult classic following. Star Wars has done a saga. They have nine films. Stop pretending like you can get away with, oh, I didn't know what the fans want. Because A, all of us are on social media. So how about you read the comments? Because we hate your films. And not for just whatever reason you assume. Don't stop taking the statistical data of our comments. Whether those comments are negative or positive, take all of them and start reading all of them because you deserve it. You deserve to read the hate. You deserve to suffer in silence and then come out swinging with a quality series. Because Mandalorian was a quality series and everything after Mandalorian and before Mandalorian has been shoddy since Disney bought it. And you're a trillion dollar organization, Disney. How about you act like it? Well, I I will say this. We know Disney can do a movie well. Rogue One was actually really solid. Like, Rogue One was good. I have no... Like, yeah, there are little nitpicky things about Rogue One, but overall... It was good, and it felt like Star Wars. Oh, I'm, I'm looking brought me forward to, to tears Star Wars today, every time I, I rewatch like it. One, but man, this is gonna be—we already got a good episode. I think we're gonna have to do a special stream on May the Fourth for that, because that—that would be a perfect time to to come talk oh, Star dude. Wars again, and we can all. That argue would be a that. long be a one. Yeah, I would discussion. love to do um, a very. But very I will argument. admit, as a quality no. quality wise, Rogue One was definitely up there, and I do respect the fact that people liked it. Me. I was in the solo camp, so go ahead, fling your mud. No, no, no. I, look, uh, I, I will say this. There were elements of solo I liked. Right. My problem was they didn't gel well. So, like, and- individual scenes were good. When you put it all together, it fell apart. Yeah, so let's go ahead and pencil in everybody. May the 4th, uh, it'll be a Wednesday, so it'll be our day before our normal show. We're going to do a special Star Wars live stream. Just just keep that in the back of your mind, because this is already going to be a good discussion. <laughs> Nobody agrees, which is great. Get That's me in on that. Disagreeing. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, get me in on that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, no. I have a lot of opinions. We can, uh, you know, it'll be, it's not going to be a two, we'll, we'll make that a full on special, you know, we'll go for hours arguing about Star Wars and, and that'll, yeah, no, that, that I think will be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. But oh, yeah. as much fun as I do, as much as I do love talking about Star Wars, we are coming up against the clock here. And so Matt, why don't you give us our, your first impressions of Elden Ring? Elden Ring. Okay, great. So, um... It's Dark Souls. <laughs> it's Dark Souls, but as everyone has already kind of figured out, um, it's an open world Dark Souls, which means you can make your own freedom. You can pace yourself through the entire game, figure out pretty much whenever when you think you can handle a boss and because you have that safety net honestly the game is both difficult in the ways that dark souls games have traditionally been dark uh like really difficult really difficult but um accommodates 
it accommodates other players' desire to just explore. It's wildly different. But it doesn't feel different from a Dark Souls game. You just have so much more safety. Uh, so real quick, I'll just explain the footage we're watching. This is some of the streaming footage from our friends over at Super Gamecraft. They were kind enough to hook us up with this clip, so it'll just be playing in the background. Uh, I haven't watched every single second of this, so if some stuff pops up, you've been warned. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, they're usually good about keeping it fairly clean. Um, John, you've been playing some. What are your thoughts? Um, to be honest, this is the only game this year, besides Forza 5, that has taken over my, like, my mind when I'm not playing. I 100% love this game, and I love this game for a, a maraud of reasons, but the most important one is that it's the most up-to-date version of Skyrim that I've played. I, I love open world games. I love games where it's like, get out there and figure it out. And I played the only Dark Souls trilogy I, or series game I played from software game, I should say, that I played is Sekiro, the um, Japanese one. And that one, I haven't gotten past like maybe 45 minutes into the main story. And I still, I have like over eight hours of gameplay into that one. This one, I have like, almost a hundred hours in the week that I've had it and I have accidentally completed some major story missions and I love that like I started watching a lot of these guide videos throughout the week trying to figure out you know am I doing this right and I wasn't I was not all of the guides told me how wrong I was but at the same time some of them were like all right if you get to this boss you're getting pretty far along the story and if you can fight him and win, you're doing real good. And I was like, oh, I beat that guy like two hours ago. <laughs> so that's what makes this game so much fun to me is like, yeah, technically there's a storyline going on. But the writers, whether or not they cared, like they just stopped caring about the player's care. Like whether the player cares about the story, they were like, we're going to write one. You can experience it and learn what's going on. Or you can just dink around with a sword and the shield and learn how to fight everything. And that's all I've been doing because I couldn't figure out how the story works. I play most of my games on like without audio at all. And I don't read the text bubbles. So like I'm literally just there to be the guy with the sword. And this game 100% satisfies. It's hard, but it legit feels like a workout. I went to show my friends how hard this game is and I showed them one of the bosses that had killed me like 18 times since I started playing and then I won on my first try trying to demonstrate that this boss was going to whoop my butt and I lost and I won I mean I, I won in going in fully thinking I was going to lose and that's what this game gives you it's like you may think you're not getting better and then suddenly you can kill everything and in an area and then you have to go learn how to kill everything in another area and it's like oh i have so many hours of chances to get better it's worth it it's a, it's a great game i love it i i could keep rambling forever carry on were you able to pick up a copy of elden ring yeah i actually was over at a friend's place last night and we we started it up um 
it was originally described to me of what if Dark Souls had a plot? Um, but really, my whole feeling on it was more along the lines of take, um, you know, a, a Game of Thrones book, a copy of uh, Dark Souls or Blood uh, Bloodborne, and like a copy of Monster Hunter, put them in a hotel room with a lot of booze, and nine months later, this would be the love child that erupts from it. Um, <laughs> you know, because uh, I, I, I didn't really play any of the Dark Souls before now. Um, you know, I, I knew all the get good lines, but I played Monster Hunter on like the most challenging hunts I could possibly take. And that game is all like, it's all boss fights one after another, and you either get good or you get squished. Um, so I got into this and I was like, okay, this is how I dodge. This is how I roll. This is how I can get in and stab and whatnot. And I was able to pick it up fairly quickly and not be terrible at it. But the learning curve on this is really just get good or get dead. Um, you know, that that's really what it boils down to for that. That being said, you know, it's not that bad to get good if you're willing to put in the time. And if you're, if you're patient and you watch what a monster does, you can predict what it's going to go to do and be ready for it. All right. So in that regard, I mean, if you're patient and you're observant it's not that terrible to play. Um, I liked the parts of the plot I got to experience. I really thought it was building to something, but then of course I thought Game of Thrones was building to something. So, you know, maybe I'm just a sucker for George R. R. Martin's first 10 chapters. Um, I think this is something that could be a very good classic going forward. I'm just, um, one of the reviews I read that I thought was very poignant was the reviewer basically said, I don't think I'm going to be able to play this game for like five or six months until there's really definitive guides for it. And I think that that might be an assessment of a lot of people who are not really in the, I want to spend like six to 12 hours uh, getting horribly mangled so that the next time I run through this game, I can do good. Yeah. My understanding with the original the original idea of the Dark Souls game, and I, I haven't actually played any of them, so I know my credibility is in the to toilet now. Um, however, I'm all about promoting good stuff here on this channel, so that's why we're talking about it. Um, my understanding was that the Dark Souls game was originally conceived with the idea of doing all this fantasy stuff like Skyrim and whatnot, but trying to make it hyper-realistic. And that's a lot of times why people die a lot is because your focus isn't so much, okay, this is just hard for the sake of hard. No, it's it's hard because they're not made they're not they're trying to break the video game tropes of oh, you know, like Call of Duty. Oh, I've been shot with a machine gun one thousand times. Let me just crouch here for a couple seconds. Oh, I'm good, just like in real life. <laughs> no, instead they wanted to have like your dragon fights and your your fights actually matter and raise the stakes instead of being uh, a Rambo type that just goes in there with, you know, a machine gun and blows everyone away. Not saying that those games are bad. There's certainly a place and time for those. It's just not every game has to have you being this invincible badass that kills everything. And it, it seems to me that the accomplishment in of itself overcoming the mechanics of the game is a worthwhile endeavor, at least what I've 
uh, observe. So anyone have any thoughts on that, on the on the difficulty or what, what you feel with the gameplay as far as realism? I think it's very, very much essential that like any new players recognize that this is a Dark Souls game and you don't necessarily have to play them. Like I said, I played only Sekiro and I barely got into that one. And the only reason I barely got into it is because Dark Souls games are really hard. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's exactly like what you said. It's about it being not necessarily realistic to real life. Because I, if, I don't know if you're paying attention to this fight that's been going on in this video. But that night that he is fighting, that's one that's killed me this same many times. Like, it's not necessarily that you're fighting realistic enemies but it's definitely like you're a realistic person in this world and you have to get to know this world to get good against this world like if you notice this player has changed his approach to starting the fight with this character every time and i think that's what makes this game so much fun is it takes a lot of the old video game tropes that we used to like think existed where like you you would fight an AI character and you could eventually outsmart them. But then some AIs were playing on such random software that like nobody could outsmart them because they couldn't outsmart them. But in this case, this game really feels like it gives you the time to memorize your opponent. Even though you died 800 times, you get to memorize your opponent's moveset and you get to finally get that W. Even if it's just killing one of the random knights that are hanging out in the first castle that you have to go, like that the whole game, like the, this player that we're watching is literally on the same castle that I'm on, killing the same character that I've been killing a couple hundred times just to XP farm him. Because, like, no matter how good you get according to the game in the progression metrics, that doesn't mean you learned how to fight. And that's really what makes this game fun is that you have to learn how to fight according to this game. And in real life, you have to learn how to fight according to your opponent. And that's really what this game keeps telling you is like your opponent is different. Every opponent based on their garb is going to fight different and you have to approach it differently. And that to me is why any newcomer can spend 12 hours enjoying themselves because like they can just run away. And I definitely did. I've run away from so many fights. I'll be like, oh, look, there's three people here. I'm out. I'm going to go find one guy and 800 cows to kill. Like, it's really fun in that regard. You can just leave. And yeah, you might lose your XP. You might lose your money. But it's actually really easy to XP farm. So, like, to just let that be any kind of, like... Like, honestly, this is the first old school game with realistic and real modern level design like you get to run through these checkpoints but you also get to mess up just like it took you 800 tries to get past the first checkpoint in any old school game that it would take you to get to the checkpoint and i think that makes it so much more fun i love this game matt any additional thoughts oh yeah um well, I got a bunch of thoughts about this game. Um, can you condense them to four minutes? I probably can. All right. There's always an opportunity to feel safe wherever you're going. Um, 
you can look at all of the incredible challenges that you have to face in front of you and this game is going to make you aware that you're about to get your shit pushed in um so you can always back out there's always safety it's the first dark souls game where you can be challenged but at the same time approach those challenges at your leisure or you could just wander off and find new challenges there are oh oh my god there is so much area to explore just in the initial map that most people display when they're streaming mm -mm, there's so much more <laughs> there's a lot of game here it's um it's gonna be hard it's gonna be a difficult adventure but the great thing about it being an open world game and as slowly paced as it is this is the first from software game where you don't have to feel aggravated about losing right like you can just look at these things and be like uh-uh nah i can level up bye <laughs> i'm gonna go level up i'll see you in two minutes <laughs> it's it's not bad but it's it having that there doesn't having that there doesn't make the game any less difficult you will struggle through this game but you will struggle through your own pace instead of being pigeonholed into like one specific area where it's like ah well i can't progress through the game unless i kill this particular boss um you can just do whatever you want it's great you could pick the days you want to do the boss I mean, and what was you the... can still find new things. That is amazing. You can still find new things you haven't seen. Little caves and crevices and little little portals that you haven't found before. You can find those. I have found so many. <laughs> well, I, nice. I, I think the the axiom for this game uh, harkens back to one of the. The really old school uh, video games that I remember, which is uh, the axiom was revenge is a dish that is always best served 30 levels later. Um, <laughs> that's exactly this game. <laughs> oh, God. That's Just highlighting Rinch Char in the chat. You can make the game roughly as hard as you want, basically. And then uh, mm -hmm. apparently, uh, whatever idiot set up this stream didn't spell it right. So make sure we get that corrected next time all right well thank you gentlemen for your thoughts on everything tonight um mm -hmm. we're gonna go ahead and shift towards our closing argument or excuse me thoughts and uh any plans for the weekend matt what are you doing this weekend literally nothing nothing is something good for you what about you john I, the best kind of weekend oh i'm elden ring all day man i love this game so much <laughs> i work in games and this game makes me want to keep working like i wish i worked on this game 
so that I could then buy this game and start over. <laughs> this is so fun. And, uh, on what about you? Weekend plans, games, books, anything? Yeah, uh, weekend plans. Uh, I am being, uh, I am grabbing a bunch of 10-year-olds and taking them to a trampoline park for this weekend for my daughter's birthday. So I'm going to be nice right and busy. And uh, after that, I'm thinking on Sunday, I'm going to go watch The Batman so I can give a uh, good review on Pop Culture Breakdown. Uh, yeah, I do want to try and make it to the Batman myself. We'll see if that happens. But uh, but yeah, I, I definitely I, I've heard some early reviews from various uh, critical drinker groups that seem to suggest that uh, it's kind of like the animated series brought to life, but then also sort of enhanced for the adults that grew up on it. And so I'm, I'm very excited to see what what it looks like. Probably not going to be anything like uh anything like the last one that and being said bring your, chat uh, i can't see oh yeah so just a nightmare all saturday huh? <laughs> Something no like you that. know what i love my kids um you know i love my daughter um all oh, friends God. are actually pretty cool um and they're usually fairly well behaved so i'm not too worried okay no. nothing wrong with that and the animated series brought to life stop i can't get so hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, I I, uh, I agree. It's it it definitely sounds very very cool, and I myself am looking forward to hopefully getting around to it so we can possibly review it next week. Um, for myself though, uh, I'm going to be starting a new job. Um, going to be uh, working for my wife delivering pizzas. Never thought that would happen, but lo and behold, the opportunities presented itself to make a little extra money. Else, not going to be doing full time work. I'm I'm over that forty hour nonsense, but. I make a few extra bucks on the side. And also, when I'm not working, um, this is probably to come as a shock. I'm going to be playing a lot of Lost Ark. I think our game segment next week is probably going to have to be revisiting it. Because even though I told people who like Transmog should stay away, I didn't go away. I couldn't stop playing it. So I definitely want to want to go over that. Mm -hmm. You've got to justify that. I, it's, it's, uh, so first of all, it's the most <laughs> alt-friendly MMO on the market. I will say that with absolute affirmation, um, even though I've never, I've only played WoW a little bit and my mo primary MMOs were Star Trek Online and, and SWOTOR, I still put a lot of hours into both those games respectively. And what I can say is, is that it's definitely a very alt character friendly it's not even necessarily friendly it's kind of designed that you need to have extra characters um but what's cool is they give you the power pass to uh, power level a character they give you two of those for free so it's yeah we'll have to get more in depth in that next week but i'm very much enjoying it i think it's probably going to become one of my main mmos after all um and it's I, honestly, it's it's an unexpected win for me on that regard. I never really was my type of game to begin with, but this is why you got to try new things in life. You can't just settle on what's comfortable all the time. It's better to broaden your horizons and, and try different games that you normally wouldn't. So I'm, I'm very excited to continue to play and just enjoy it and probably go over it next week. Otherwise, um, yeah, not much else going on for me. And got to get into Reacher this week. So that way we can have a book segment next week as well. 
Anyone else got any more final thoughts real quick? Last 30 seconds. Obligatory like and subscribe. Yes, obligatory uh, like and subscribe. We need to do that more often and in, in, in the middle of the stream. <laughs> Keep, I tried. I, I but anyone can say it at any time. Like, yeah. hey, you want to help us get subscribers, that's fine. If you want a chance to throw in a rage, the rage that we prefer is obligatory like and subscribe rage. Yeah. Uh, to our fans, to our audience, thank you for coming. I really do appreciate it. And uh, thank you to our yes, guests. Thank you, everyone who tuned in. And of course, if you're listening to this on the podcast, we uh, broadcast live 530 Pacific, 830 Eastern every Thursday night. So if you want to join the live discussion, we'll be simulcast on YouTube and Twitch, whichever platform works for you. And we are finally streaming on Spotify for those. Got another comment in the chat. Listening. I don't know what it says. Oh, it's a bot. Cool. We'll ban you later. Uh, Bye, my robots. With all of that said, I'm Petey York with the Ryder Brothers reminding you, don't be a dick. Salutations.